Welcome, my friends. Welcome to this edition of Corbett Report Radio. Of course, I am your host, James Corbett, broadcasting to you from the sunny climes of western Japan. And if my voice sounds different today, it's not because I'm sick, it's because my computer is sick. So I am coming to you not through the auspices of my usual palatial broadcasting studio here in western Japan, but through my cell phone. So hopefully this connection will be all right for now. It seems some gremlins have gotten into my computer system. So let's try and press ahead for for right now with this, and we'll see if I can get back on the computer uh, shortly. But until then, let's, uh, let's talk about tonight's broadcast, because tonight we have lined up for you a very special guest, and I hope he'll be joining us on the line soon. I'm not sure if he's there yet, but uh, we're going to be talking, hopefully, to Lieutenant Eric Shine. And again, people who have been listening to Corbett Report for any length of time might already know Lieutenant Shine, or you might already know him from Republic Republic Broadcasting's very own In the Zone on Saturday nights at, I believe, this exact same time time slot. So um, on Saturdays, if you're listening at this time, you'll already know Lieutenant Shine and his program. And we're going to be talking about his ongoing legal turmoil, which has been going on for the better part of a decade now with the Coast Guard attempting to to try him as a an alleged civilian, although, of course, he is a West Point graduate and a uh, merchant marine, and uh, as such a naval officer. But uh, they're alleging he's a civilian and trying to put him through a, a type of military tribunal. He's uh, now escaped into the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, but, of course, not a jury trial. Uh, I want to get the latest from him because it is uh, an ongoing issue of extreme importance. I mean, it just goes to the very heart of issues about martial law and about what the government uh, and especially the military can and cannot do to civilians because whatever they can do to civilians, they can do to any of us. And um, that really is quite, quite disturbing. But as I say, I'll be coming to you uh, via cell phone until I can get this computer problem sorted out. So hopefully you can hear my voice right now. But uh, it does bring to mind uh, when we have problems like this, just how dependent a lot of us, including, of course, myself, have become on these technologies. And it is something, it's at least some pause for thought about what these technologies mean and, and how much we're becoming part of them, however much we want to resist that and however much we're fighting it. If, uh, if you are online or is somehow using a, an electronic device at the moment, uh, you are part of this web that's being woven around us and has been for centuries now and unfortunately the uh, the technological control grid is becoming almost complete as we heard yesterday with our IntelliStreet's street lamp Orwellian technology so as we become more and more ensconced in the all-encompassing cradling swath of uh, technology it is an incredible technology that we can use to communicate with people all around the world and it's also a technology that we can become so reliant on that when it starts to go kaput, we have very few alternatives, which is a very scary situation to be in, and which is why self-reliance and getting ourselves off the grid in every possible way is very much a part of the Corbett Report's perhaps paradoxical message, because I do so much of my work online that, uh, that obviously people are using various technologies to try to access my work. So it is part of that paradox, reaching into the matrix to try to get people out of the matrix. And it's a question of whether we can continue to do that and continue to thrive while doing that. And there will have to come a point at some point in our life, well, in our lifetime, I think, in our generation, there will be a point where we have to make the ultimate decision about technology and whether we control it 
or whether it controls us. So, unfortunately, that I, that time is coming to be almost uh, maybe certainly today for me, as uh, unfortunately my computer continues to have these technical difficulties. But hopefully we will get them sorted out for you tonight, and hopefully we will have Lieutenant Eric Shine on the line for you shortly. So let's take a break and recoup, and we'll be right back after these messages. You just do as you're told. Get my honey, come back. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you tonight via the auspices of my cell phone. So um, you'll forgive me if I don't sound the best tonight, but we do have someone on the line who is coming in crystal clear, thankfully. It is Lieutenant Eric Shine of MarshallLaw911.com and CrossingTheRubicon.org. Lieutenant Shine, great to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks, James, and again, welcome to the network. Excellent. Well, yes, it is good to be here. And, as, of course, as RBN listeners will know, you are uh, on RBN on your own show, In the Zone, on Saturday nights at uh, the same, same time slot. So hopefully a lot of people are already familiar with you and your work. But, again, this is a new radio show, and uh, it's your first time being on the program as a full-time guest. So so I guess let's start with some introductions, and let's start going over uh, who you are and what you're what you're facing. Well, I'm a graduate of Kings Point, the United States Merchant Marine Academy, in uh, New York on Long Island, exit 33 on the LIE. It's a federal military service academy, a fellow academy to West Point, Annapolis, and the Air Force Academy. It's a similar uh, or fellow academy in one light to the Coast Guard Academy. Uh, I come out as a commissioned naval officer. I'm required to get a congressional or senatorial appointment to get into Kings Point, whereas individuals getting into the Coast Guard Academy do not are not required a congressional appointment or other such appointment from a nominating authority because it's not a federal military service academy like West Point, Annapolis, the Air Force Academy at Vail, or Kings Point. It's a federal police academy, a federal maritime police academy. And um, they're also required or not required to get a Defense Investigative Services background check going into the Coast Guard Academy, as we are, as West Pointers are, and as Annapolis um, candidates are, uh, or Air Force candidates, cadets. Uh, they use the terms cadets or midshipmen. But coming out of Kings Point, I have a Naval Commission serving on special duty in the United States Merchant Marine, and my Naval Commission is inextricably caught up and intertwined with my service as an officer in the United States Merchant Marine, whether I'm working in a shipyard, on board an oil tanker, a container ship, uh, or any number of other areas where I might serve or others might serve, uh, like working for General Electric, uh, landing their steam turbine generators and or equipment, as I've done myself in the past, and other companies like American Ship Management, who I've worked for. Um, I've been a civil service uh, engineer working at the sub base in San Diego. I've worked at Pearl Harbor, et cetera, et cetera. But the Coast Guard is a, as I've said, a federal maritime police force. It's supposed to be a civil service, not a branch of military. 
uh, all branches of military in the United States are supposed to be contained within the Department of Defense. And now the Coast Guard that came from, first and foremost, the Department of uh, the Treasury, Treasury Department, and then moved to the Commerce Department, and then moved to the Department of Transportation. I don't think there's many agencies that have moved as many times as the Coast Guard has. And is now in the Department of Homeland Security. It was never in the Department of Defense. It was in the Department of War under the Navy in the Department of War prior to the end of World War II. It was never brought into the Department of Defense when it was created after the end of World War II when the Department of War was converted to the Department of Defense. The Coast Guard was placed under Title 14, not Title 10. Title 10 is the... Um, for the Department of Defense. It's for the four regular branches of military, Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. Uh, all personnel, uniform personnel in those services come under Title 10 and the Uniform Code of Military Justice that's contained therein. The Coast Guard does not, is not supposed to. Under Title 14, it was to come under Title 5, which is the Administrative Procedure Act. It is civil service law for civil service personnel. But since the Coast Guard has gone to great lengths to no longer adjudicate any internal remedial and administrative matters for its own personnel under Title V and is no longer using it for its own personnel and is now somehow voluntarily taken on Title X in the UCMJ as a military weapon, as a form of military law, which is a form of martial law outside of the Department of Defense, it is all of its personnel in uniform are now supposedly a branch of military in Homeland Security that is saying that it can administer and carry on and even adjudicate disputes over civilian law, over civilian affairs, over civilian licensing, over civilian fines and or penalties as a branch of military and thus is using Military personnel, a special, and I call it a special branch of military, because no other branch of military is allowed to administer, let alone adjudicate civilian affairs here in the United States. It's unconstitutional. The Coast Guard is uh, responsible, and this goes even to what happened with British Petroleum and the, uh, the horizon, the event horizon in the Gulf in the oil spill, where the Coast Guard as a branch of military now has a Authority over the Environmental Protection Act, the Oil Pollution Act, Title V, which is civil service personnel law, that it's not applying to its own personnel. It's applying to, and the Secretary of uh, Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano, has put out a delegation, uh, 0170.1, declaring that the civil service United States Merchant Marine is now to be superintended by a branch of military. That's like saying the FAA is now to be superintended by the Air Force. Absolutely right. And uh, again, for people who aren't picking up on just how incredible this is, I mean, this goes right to the heart of what martial law is and what it, what it really means when we have a branch, a so-called branch of military that presumes to be able to adjudicate on civilian affairs. That is martial law. That's the very textbook definition. Right, and that's not our system, and that's even not, you know, whether you, whether, no matter, and we've talked about this before, no matter how you find yourself under common law in a kingdom, 
which is a, a different system, rather than having it of, by, and for the people, it still is to an extent, there is a, an oligarch or a monarchy that rules, whether it be a figurehead or however you want to uh, define it or refine it. Um, in, in our system, a constitutional republic, all the people are equal. We don't have a, you know, although we know in, in, in fact we do, uh, we're not supposed to have a individual or group of individual families and their heirs who own and control not only the government, but industry and business. And um, regardless of whether you live in a constitutional republic or a kingdom, uh, even most kingdoms realize that, and like England, England does not have a militarized Coast Guard. It's a civil service. So they know better. Um, but at, at some point, whether you find yourself under, or how you find yourself under common law, whether it be in a kingdom, you're still under common law, uh, case precedents, uh, law made by the courts or through adjudications, or in a republic, uh, even kingdoms don't usually use, unless you're like in a banana republic, like uh, a not even a banana republic, but a, a, a military dictatorship that's like a kingdom like Saudi Arabia or a country like that, um, and, and even they don't use their military to adjudicate civilian affairs. That, that's right, and that raises a question that I've ever, actually never really thought to ask, but are there other countries that actually have a militarized Coast Guard? No, I don't know of any. It's generally I mean, a civil service function, right? Right, well, because think about it. Not only did the Coast Guard come from Treasury Department initially under Hamilton uh, when he created the uh, Revenue Cutter Marine, and they you know, tried to bring their roots back to 1791 or whatever, um, but that was basically uh, an IRS on the water, but not for American citizens. It was more for foreigners and tariffs, not necessarily even taxes or internal taxes or income taxes. It was to prevent, uh, uh, you know, um, smuggling, you know, from foreign interests, foreign kingdoms mostly, especially at the time, uh, that would injure our own system or allow people to, you know, and people could say and argue the issue about China or not, or, or even Russia. Uh, under their political systems, at least at some point in the past, they have been, you know, whether it's communism or, or some form of socialism or uh, whatever you want to look to, they have been, to an extent, a dictatorship. You know, and many people have even said that the United States is and has been uh, at various times. Many people even say that Roosevelt, who came up with the New Deal, was a dictator. You know, he did serve into and broke that tradition of serving into two terms for a president and served into four terms. And, and you know, whether you violate a thing for good cause, allegedly, if you violate it, you're still violating it. You know, it, it, to say that you're doing it for good reason and be a dictator for a good cause, you're still a dictator. Um, at some point here in the United States, we... You know, and I look at the, the candidates who have uh, populated both the Republican and the Democratic, you know, parties right now. And I would say that, you know, replacing a president should not be that big of a deal. We should have plenty of people who can step to the task. But when I look at people like Sarah Palin, uh, even guys, um, you know, even Mitt Romney, I'm sorry. I mean, the whole field of candidates right now, I am appalled that we do not have men of good character and women of good character 
and and background and experience who can step forward and um, serve in that call to duty uh, where America is in a you know extremely rough patch right now. Exactly right, and unfortunately that speaks to the fact that politics is becoming more and more theater and less about actual substance, and uh, I think we all know that. But uh, let's take a, a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue getting into your case specifically and what the Coast Guard's been trying to do to you over the last decade. Welcome back, friends, to Corbett Report Radio. I am your host, James Corbett, of course, of CorbettReport.com. And tonight we're talking to Lieutenant Eric Schein of In the Zone right here on Republic Broadcasting. And, yes, I am coming to you via cell phone tonight, so I might be breaking up a little. So let's hope that uh, we can maintain this connection. But before the break, Lieutenant Schein, you were getting into the, the, the deep background of the case and its overall significance. But perhaps we should start talking about yourself and how you came to be embroiled in all of this legal kerfuffle that's uh, that's consumed your life for the last 10 years yeah well and literally if not consumed literally consumed my life to where um you know i've got a branch of military that i'm not in because if i was in the coast guard i'd get certain things i would continue to get per diem pay i could not be stripped of any um uh rank or any other uh, benefits until i was found guilty of some offense you know, violation of law, rule, or regulation. Here, I'm not charged with, and even in one of the orders from the um, first ALJ on the case, McKenna, he identified in one of his orders that I was not being prosecuted for professional incompetence. I was being prosecuted for medical mental incompetence. Medical mental incompetence. And how do they define that? They didn't. Mm-hmm. They they basically said that um, inability to do your job, blah, 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 uh, uh, you know, which is, it's still supposed to be, because that's still professional incompetence. So it's like ig- ignoring the definition, retitling it, and then saying, well, but we're going to pursue this as a corrupt probate court or a corrupt probate action to where rather than, bringing, you know, uh, uh, legitimate charges against you for a violation that you've been noticed of, law, rule, or regulation, uh, that you've done something wrong, we are going to try to prove that you are mentally incompetent. Not, well, that's not, right. And the obvious, the obvious historical parallel there is something like uh, the Soviet Union, where they used to throw political dissidents in the gulag because they they must be crazy to disagree with the government. And it's the same type of thing where you don't have to do anything wrong. You can do your job 100% totally correct. All they have to do is put this stigma on you and use their their doctors in court to quote unquote to to testify against you, and they have well, they, somehow proved their case. They used a Coast Guard medical officer in uniform. He's in the service of the Coast Guard on orders from the Admiral via the chain of command to show up and be there, observe me in the proceedings, a four-day trial in the Fusion Center, and you've probably heard of the Fusion Centers from uh, Jesse Ventura and some of your own reading and you know coming across uh, the term on the Internet. Uh, the federal building in Long Beach has been turned into one of these, you know, fusion centers to where four days, and this was in, um, uh, and this is how sick and twisted they are, that they prosecuted me in room 5150. 
which in California is code. It used to be uh, uh, code 20, I think is what they called it, back in the 1920s. That, that's in the movie uh, The Changeling with Angelina Jolie, um, where it gets into what Los Angeles Police Department used to do to dissidents or people or, or troublemakers or others. Rather than bring legitimate charges against them and allow them to face their accusers in a, in a, a neutral forum, you know, court where you have certain rights and protections, they would basically eviscerate all of your constitutional rights and due process by pointing at you, saying you're crazy, having a doctor help them do it, and lock you up and put you away in a mental ward rather than a prison. Absolutely. Just just ridiculous. All right, so so let's go over how this developed, because I understand you were bringing whistleblower charges, and this was used as a way to, to get you out of the court system and into their kangaroo court. Well, I had filed grievances, underlying grievances, through the system in the maritime industry, the Merchant Marine, through the union, quote-unquote, or association. It's also a federal contractor, a federal employer itself. It is, just like the shipping companies, a general agency of the United States. Uh, it signs general agency agreements, not general services agreements, but it actually is an extension of, and in fact, the United States by name, by it signing on to and becoming a general agency of the United States. It's like a private FBI or a private Treasury Department or a private, uh, you know, uh, department or agency of the federal government. Um, that's what, you know, the shipping companies and the union are effectively by um, the way the system is set up. They sign on and are federal contractors and are to provide things per line item and, and a lot of times it's not just a line item in federal contracts that have been contracted and or negotiated through federal contracting uh, laws, rules, regulations, but in effect are from case precedents from the Supreme Court, case law like, say, Gideon versus Wainwright, which goes to uh, right to counsel in criminal proceedings. Um, Title 33, which is one of the, the titles that they brought this action against me under, was based in criminal law. They're saying that I am, even though they're trying to prove that I'm medically, mentally incompetent, uh, that I am forced to be my own counsel, even though under in these uh, proceedings I am supposed to have counsel provided by the United States from underneath my shipping articles, 46 U.S.C. 10302, and the very people that are contracted out to provide that are the ones denying it, and the United States will not enforce that to make sure that I have counsel in these proceedings. Yeah, I guess um, we're going to break. 800-313-9443, but the uh, issue was I have brought suit against these federal contractors. We'll be back with it with James hopefully right after the break. Hey, can you hear me? You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. I am your host, and I certainly hope that I'm back, but um, my voice may again be dropping out throughout this transmission, as I may or may not be able to make myself heard on my cell phone, but... James? Well, I think James has dropped again. Um, 
it's unfortunate. 800-313-9443. James was asking me, and what had happened, what brought this all on, was I had sued two shipping companies, federal contractors, and general agencies of the United States, and the union, also a federal contractor and federal employer and general agency of the United States, who work in concert to carry on a broad system of racketeering and had gone into federal district court to correct this. They held me in federal district court for years, spread out the matters, beat me up, you know, uh, blacklisted me a bunch more, took actions against me, job actions and more, set me up on a bunch of um, uh, matters, I guess, that had gone on. Uh, And and even then, I still didn't do anything wrong that they could point to, and um, although they tried. And uh, the Coast Guard, after the shipping companies and union and protection indemnity insurance clubs and the federal district courts in L.A. and San Diego and the Ninth Circuit all had a, a piece of me, the Coast Guard, as the shipping companies and the union filed simultaneous uh, motions for summary judgment, the Coast Guard, a special branch of military, then in just moving into Homeland Security, uh, brought charges against me, charged me with, quote-unquote, being depressed, and prosecuted me aggressively for the last eight, nine years in what is clearly a military tribunal where the Coast Guard has used JAG counsel. It now has its own judge, advocate, general, military, uniform, commissioned uh, attorney corps uh, in, you know, that are military personnel um, acting against American civilians They've identified me as a civilian, not a naval officer, not a graduate of Kings Point. They did cite in there Kings Pointer, um, and they've tried to prove that my commission has been um, revoked. Uh, although our commissions are not revoked, they are indefinite, and they fight to keep us in the special program that we are in indefinitely so that in times of need, our naval commission is activated in the United States Merchant Marine, whether it be for civil defense or national security in time of war or national emergency. Like, uh, as an example, Valdez got hit with a um, tsunami back in the 60s, and it wiped it out. And in such an instance, or even like what happened in Katrina or Rita, um, civil service vessels, ships under American flag, could go in and provide beds, and water makers and electricity to the local, and that's exactly what happened in Valdez up in Alaska, but more recently under FEMA control under Bush, and um, you're doing a good job, Brownie, the um, FEMA had rented out foreign flag uh, cruise ships to provide, and most of them weren't even used, um, to provide uh, emergency response and what happened to... Um, in the wake of uh, Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. James, are you there? You back? I, I think I'm here. Are you there? That's the real Sorry, question. Sorry, man. I, just, I took over because I heard you drop out. And please then... do. If I drop out, please just continue going and uh, keep people informed of your situation. But, uh, okay. but yes, I mean, I, let's, let's move forward because uh, a lot of people perhaps have heard uh, this story before. So let's, let's get into more of the recent developments because I understand you're now being put into the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Is that right? Yeah, now I'm representing myself against the – they've recently combined the um, uh, title or caption on the complaint. The court number or the appeal number is 11-72740, 
and it is um, Eric Schein is the petitioner before, to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and I've not had a jury trial on any of this. The Coast Guard is I've been in the Coast Guard's proceedings the whole time until the NTSB finally got it, um, and NTSB had it for about five months, basically just rubber stamped it. They even threw in and ferreted out some new information, uh, but basically condoned having a branch of military. They even made fun of and twisted my citations about posse comitatus and the prohibitions of using a branch of military to adjudicate civilian affairs and made it seem like I was crazy and and worded it in such a way that I am saying that the Coast Guard has subject uh, subjugated me, or, or um, I'm trying to think of how they put it, under posse comitatus, which is not, you know, uh, what I've said or how I've said it. I said that the Coast Guard is violating posse comitatus and that it is subjecting me to military or martial law because they're saying I'm a civilian. The, the Navy is not coming after me as a naval officer. The Coast Guard, in fact, has gone behind the scenes to strip me of my naval commission and done it without an absent due process and done it to make me a civilian because they knew as a naval officer I would have Navy JAG counsel and Coast Guard JAG counsel would not have, they could not stand up to Navy JAG counsel. I mean, the, 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 the difference between Navy JAG counsel and what now is or has become or constitutes Coast Guard JAG counsel is night and day. I mean, Navy JAG counsel are legitimate attorneys. I mean, these guys are the best and the brightest. Um, Coast Guard JAG counsel, uh, I mean, these guys, this is what was going on in the court or in the proceedings where the judge, who's a lieutenant commander in the Coast Guard himself, he's not a judge, he's a hearing officer, they're saying that these proceedings are an Article 32 or military tribunal, and then on, on one hand, and then on the other, they're saying it's an Article 1 court, which the issues of admiralty and general maritime law are not supposed to be adjudicated in an Article 1 court. It's an Article 3 uh, specific express uh, prerogative of the Article 3 courts. Um, but the lieutenant commander, the ALJ, administrative law judge, was signaling the JAG prosecutor in the proceedings, and somebody noted it uh, because she was sitting at the end of the table and was able to actually watch both individuals where I was facing the um, administrative law judge instead, and the uh, JAG prosecutor was to my right in uniform of the Coast Guard and acting as a prosecutor. Um, but there's there was all kinds of stuff like that going on, and then the, the uh, Coast Guard had their own medical officer in there who observed me in the proceedings to... Uh, say that I'm the way I defended myself in court without an absent counsel uh, that I was medically mentally incompetent. They even had one of the my employers, a representative of one of the shipping companies that was a defendant in federal district court, come in and he's a Coast Guard Academy graduate himself as the first assistant and or chief assistant engineer and representative of the company, shipping company, testify against me in the proceedings. That's the individual who tried to hand me a talking cup in the proceedings. But um, now I'm before the Ninth Circuit representing myself, although the Coast Guard and Homeland Security has declared me to be medically mentally incompetent. And I must, I'm must i defending myself against the United States of America, the Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Transportation, National Transportation Safety Board, United States Coast Guard, um, and I have to act as my own counsel. Now, and they've got general counsel and 
They, I mean, I, a, a, a family member of my own family who's an attorney himself said that he's never seen one person or even heard of one person surrounded by so many attorneys. And not one of these attorneys is on my side. That tells you with everything else they've tried to tie me to Timothy McVeigh. They're trying to say that I'm crazy or medically mentally incompetent. They're basically using these Coast Guard quote-unquote licensing proceedings. And this isn't, you know, um, I, 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 it sounds like James has dropped off again. James, you there? He, he dropped off again. Um, James is still here. Uh, no, no, no. I'm just, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. No, I was um, the I, Skype. I, here. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear me, but I, I just uh, I was I was going to say it sounds like you're surrounded by by basically the entire United States government. Uh, effectively, I mean, even the clerk of the court, they're playing games now, where they've moved that the original brief was to be due December fifth, and the manager of administrative law judge operations for the NTSB, and it's really not the NTSB; it's the FAA because it's for administrative law judges, and the FAA has ALJs, whereas the NTSB has board members. The only problem, though, is that the FAA ALJs, the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, those administrative law judges who hear individual cases and then their appeal goes to the full board of the NTSB, each and all of those FAA ALJs make up the full board of the NTSB. So it's almost like if you were in a circuit court or appellate court where you have a three-judge or three-justice panel hear your, you know, petition or appeal in a circuit court like the Ninth Circuit. And then if you disagree with it or an issue in there or there's a, a remaining issue that's still in dispute, you would the next step would be for an en banc panel, basically all of the justices in the Ninth Circuit or whatever circuit you're in, would then hear the case, or you could petition for that. They may say no um, and uphold or do something, whatever, as far as the three-circuit panel. But here, there's no separation of powers. There's no separation of duties. The individual FAA ALJs become the appellate court. So rather than having it one, one uh, and these aren't even real judges. They're hearing officers who are minimally they call it an Article One court, but it's really an Article Two or Executive Branch court. They call it an Article One court because it's 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 set up by Congress uh, to where it's like a lesser court, where like the the NTSB is an example, the National Labor Relations Board is an example. It's a specific act that has created the board or council or commission to hear. Uh, it's almost like a special master, like you'd have in the court system but it's an ongoing special master. And they are, to some extent, supposed to be judicial officers and not from the agency or department that they uh, uh, already carry on oversight of because then there you know, is no real independence. And that's part of the problem with the whole Office of Administrative Law Judge System, the uh, Inspector General, and more. Many of these, agents, uh, these uh, uh, systems of oversight were set up to be independent, embedded within, but have now become part of the department or agency that they were to carry oversight on, and the independence is, you know, effectively lost. James, are you still there? Yeah, as if, as if there was really independence in the first place. Yeah, but, right. but no, the point is well taken. Well, it's the United States all around. 
and it's the United States of America. And that's why, like, in a situation like this, especially when the federal government becomes involved, you should have the right to counsel, just like in a um, – because the, the the federal government should not be taking action against its citizens. Um, I mean, for the most part, that should be left up to the states, except if there's an issue of diversity. You know, like uh, a serial killer who is and, – and where there's a legitimate crime, there's murder – and it's crossing state boundaries, then the federal government should get involved, you know, to, to so that the states don't start going at each other over an issue of where, you know, well, he killed people in our state, and, yeah, well, he killed people in our state. Then right, exactly. I mean, there's, there's certain cases where there's clearly defined federal uh, jurisdiction, but, right. uh, but certainly it shouldn't be in this type of case. No, not for, and especially not for lesser issues, because, like, here, and this isn't really a lesser issue. This is as bad as murder. Because they're trying to imprison me within my own mind. If you get what I mean, they're they're basically. I certainly you know, do, and that goes back to what we were saying with the political dissidents being jailed in the Soviet Union. I mean, that's that's what it is all about. It's if they can use this to shut people up that they don't want to, that speaking out against their system, then they can use it against any one of us. And this is the time, as you say, in a common law system where legal precedents are being set. And if the wrong precedents are set, then uh, then future generations are stuck with that. Well, and you bring up an important point, though, or make me go to it, that with this whole uh, Occupy movement, that there is and has been mention of an Occupy the Courts movement that needs to be, you know, initiated. And I would ask that, and even the Occupy movements, I think the courts and others are going to start paying closer attention. And, and this went on in the in the 60s to where I think they called them the red shirts. They went into the court system, sat in the courts to carry on oversight of the courts, and if the judge or any participant in the court system was misbehaving or violating somebody's constitutional rights, the participants would stand up in the court and turn their back on the judge or the individual, whether it's the prosecutor or whomever who was misbehaving. And, you know, That's right. We've seen that kind of uh, tactic being used in recent times. There's uh, been a, a growing Freeman contingent in, in Britain that's been doing those types of practices and taking over courtrooms and getting um, judgments overturned by by refusing to obey the court's orders. And uh, and when they can't bring the court under control, the uh, the people have effectively taken back the courtroom, which which we know operates under admiralty law rather than than um, common law usually. And so when the the uh, judge, aka the captain, abandons the ship, aka the courtroom. Um, the people can take over. So that is yeah, a, a right. strategy that's being used more and more often. Well, and what what is in our time with the technology that we have, there is absolutely no reason that the court proceedings are not uh, videotaped, that they are not recorded in audio-visual format, especially proceedings. I, and I tried. They wanted to force me under a psych exam that uh, I went with an attorney, albeit uh, conflicted, who was forced upon me, and a videographer, and the quote-unquote psychiatrist from Adult Human Services in San Diego from the state court system in San Diego would not carry on the proceedings if it was to be recorded. And or my attorney would be allowed. I mean, that's just so ridiculous. It's like one of these uh, fortune tellers or something that won't, uh, or like a seance person who won't let you look under the table. I mean, clearly, if they're not letting you videotape it, there's a reason. Well, worse, it's like a scientist saying... No, you can't see the records of me creating cold fusion. No, it's not reproducible. Only I know the secrets to it. 
it's like, okay, right. I really believe that you've discovered. Exactly. I wouldn't buy a used car off of someone like that, let alone uh, and, and the judgment over somebody's, you know, mental sanity. Right. Or land in Florida. As the old saying goes about swamp land in Florida, I've got some land I want to sell you in Florida. Um, and that's it, it goes to openness. It goes to transparency. It goes to uh, it being our system, not theirs, or not some you know uh, individual or family or family members or uh, succession of family members like Bush, Bush, Bush. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned uh, Congressman uh, Duncan Hunter, Senior, whose son Junior. Congressman, or, you know, is now Congressman Duncan Hunter Jr., who took over his father's seat in Congress. And at some point, I, you know, I, I, I think we should have laws against that. I would rather have, I hear the music. Yeah, I think the music is about to come in. Yeah, well, okay, well, let's leave it there. We'll, we'll take a few minute break and we'll come back to finish things up with Lieutenant Eric Shine right here on Corporate Report Radio on Republic Broadcasting. That's you, James. We're back, right? Yes. Let's but let's go. We're back here on Corporate Report Radio, talking to Lieutenant Eric Shine. And as I understand, we have a caller on the line, Owen from Florida. Let's uh, let's bring up Owen real quick. Owen, what's your comment? Hello. Hello. Hi. Owen, go ahead. Well, I wanted to make a, a comment. I something caught my attention, which was the comment about imprisoning. Mind and it reminded me of the CIA whistleblower Susan Lindauer, who I believe now my information might be incomplete, but she was arrested under the Patriot Act and detained for quite a while, and and they actually wanted to forcefully medicate her, and I guess somehow miraculously she escaped that. Well, she's um, kind of, if I if I there was an article written, it was called Room Fifty One Fifty. It was actually about my situation, but um, the uh, author mentioned Susan Lindauer in it. And she'd actually help get her out, but she was in a federal mental holding facility or whatever. And um, she's actually related to, or sister or sister-in-law to Andrew Card, I believe, the former Secretary of Transportation under the first Bush, and then Chief of Staff who whispered in the ear of uh, President G.W. Bush when 9/11 happened, and also graduate of my academy at Kings Point. Right. Well, I've heard a bit about Susan Lindauer's case, but I haven't uh, I haven't researched it deeply. But it's something I'm going to have to look into. But it brings to mind the, some of the things that I've heard recently about um, people who uh, are promoting 9/11 truth, for example, in New Zealand, but being uh, referred to psychiatrists by their doctors for having espoused it and things like that. So, so there is a, a concerted attempt to try to make this uh, uh, stigmatize this type of information. But Owen, I've, I think we're running out of time here, so I think we're going to have to let you go. But I hope to talk to you again another night. Okay, thank you. Thanks, right, Thank you for calling in. All right, yeah, and search that article, too, Room 5150, and um, I'm trying to think of uh, the author's name. It's not coming to me off the top of my head. But. All right, well, in the last couple of minutes here, obviously you're uh, facing just incredible odds with the combined forces of the U.S. government really stacked against you, and uh, and really what you need is, is legal help. So so let's put the call out there for anyone, if, if they are able to, to secure some sort of legal counsel counsel for you or put you in touch with someone that can help 
Um, that that would be really appreciated. Any other well, way people can get And real counsel, case. too, not, you know, I mean, they've got right now in what's going on, like, or has been going on in Gitmo, they actually had, like, uh, real estate attorneys going down, down there to represent these individuals in Gitmo, which is, you know, I mean, come on. We don't have constitutional scholars, constitutional lawyers. Oh, wait. The president is a constitutional scholar. <laughs> yes, yes. The yeah. the constitutional scholar in chief. Um, I hate to bring it up, but ACLU have they looked at your case at all? I've tried everything. I, I yeah. need other people to. I mean, because they're monitoring my calls. They're doing everything to make sure that I do not get counsel or representation. There's some enormously powerful forces, both economic and political, that are. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars in theft from the U.S. taxpayer in the underlying KETAM or federal contracting violations by these shipping companies, many of which are now foreign-owned and foreign-controlled. Unfortunately true. All right. Well, uh, how about uh, Legal Defense Fund? Would that help in any way? Yeah, I could really use, and, you know, if there's any angel out there, because that's been one of the issues even in any council coming up now. And we've got time. The uh, manager of ALJ operations bought me some more time. The brief is not due until February 28th, supposedly. They reset the calendar. It was due December 5th. Right, and I th- that's because they can't get their docket together in time or something like that? Yeah, they can't provide the docket because it's tens of thousands of pages long to the um, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in time, too. They have to take it by carrier pigeon one page at a time, I guess. Um, well, they're actually they're re-docketing the entire record and renumbering everything so that I have a big problem in trying to cite from it. Yeah, that sounds like one of the tricks that they pull. Absolutely. Well, it just keeps getting more and more insane, and it's just there's so many forces stacked against you in this case, so we'll have to keep uh, coming back to it and and putting the call out for some help. But I think we're going to have to leave it there for tonight, and I hope to be back with you tomorrow night uh, loud and clear, but we'll see what's going on at any rate. uh, Lieutenant Eric Schein, thank you so much for stepping in and helping out tonight. Thanks, James. Peace.